Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Cricket with an Accent. This is Saqib Ali hosting the show and today we have the company of Dan Gallen who makes his return to the podcast almost exactly a year apart. Last year we were talking to him about uh, the preview shows of the World Cup and this year it's a unique situation. Uh, cricket and the world uh, are waiting to be reopened on eve of that. I think Dan who lives in London is a pretty good voice for all your listeners as we can explore plenty of topics. Welcome to the show, Dan. No, thank you very much. Glad to be back. Yeah, it's, uh, as you say, just over a year. I remember the last time chatting with you, I was full of optimism. It was just before the, the World Cup, and you were asking me about the potential ways South Africa could win it. And I think every prediction I, I, I made in the positive was wrong, and every negative prediction I made was right. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully I can add a bit more insight that, that actually comes true this time. You know, prediction is a funny game, and you're a brave man, I mean, you know, to admit that, because, you know, we all do that, and sometimes we tread very cautiously or uh, defensively, but I think, yeah, I remember that episode was fun, so hopefully this will be another fun conversation. Uh, so let's talk about uh, COVID. How, 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 how are you, and how has the last few months been, and what is London like where you're based? Uh, has life resumed to normal, and what is the social distancing? And let's talk about that stuff first. Well, it's, it's certainly not normal. And I think it'll be some time before we get to whatever we define as normal. I mean, perhaps those goalposts have moved beyond our orbit, and, we'll, and we 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 won't ever really get there. Um, but you know, I'm 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 blessed. I'm I'm privileged enough to have a to have a, a nice home here with my partner. Um, we live in a really great part of town. The shops are still open. We've been cooking a lot. We're still able to exercise, running and cycling, and yoga and yeah, I was spending a lot of time watching highlights of Brian Lara just decimate um, bowlers from the 90s. Uh, work is still is, is still ticking along. So, yeah, no, I feel really blessed, but obviously conscious that um, that is not the case for everyone around the world. And, yeah, just kind of taking stock as, as, the, as the news gets more terrifying by the day. So, so Dan, I mean, uh, last time you were writing for Crick Buzz, so let our listeners know, you know, where they can follow your work. Uh, I'm sure a lot of them already follow you on Twitter, but uh, what have you been doing for writing? And is it just uh, cricket you are covering or are you also covering football or any other sport? Uh, yeah, it's, it's actually not as much cricket as, as I ordinarily would at this time of the year. I mean, I, I'm contributing for the Cricketer magazine and, and, and for Wisden. Um, but primarily writing for a publication called New Frame, based in South Africa. They uh, are a non-profit that looks to explore stories that impact the global south and, and, and challenge economic and social inequalities. So my, my sports writing kind of looks at that. I've, I've also dabbled in a few non-sports pieces, which has been a, a real interesting challenge to kind of stretch my my brain in that way to, to without the the crutch in a way of, of sport to, to tackle those meatier subjects but yeah keeping busy new frame is 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 uh, is where you can find most of my work if, if your listeners don't know it i do highly recommend it it's a, it's a fantastic publication Telf advice another another well-known well not another well-known but another a, a well-known voice in the cricket world contributes for them quite regularly so yeah some really really good writing there so do check them out no, don't 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 be humble. I mean, I followed your growth; it's pretty immense for last year. So, more power to you. Your 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 name is showing up, and you know your work follows you. So, we wish you the best. And you just had a birthday too, a few days ago. So, happy belated <laughs> birthday on the show! So, Thank you very much. 
So yeah, let's get let's talk about the saliva issue. I was just even trying to explain to my family, you know, like the other day, that you know how I mean, you know, people who don't play the sport find it gross, but you know, saliva has been such an integral, you know, resource of a, of a bowler. How you know mm. to maintain the shine of the ball and whatnot. So uh, post COVID, uh, this is a big talking point. What have you heard? I mean, as the alternatives, uh, how far has this conversation gone from the ICC, and is there anything you would like to share? Well, I mean, as you say, it's people might find it gross, but it is it is so important to the game. I mean, it's people may argue already that that the that the game is is too heavily skewed towards batsmen, and, and if bowlers can't apply the one the, the the one thing that they can put on a ball, if they can't use that to to get the ball to swing and reverse and 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 just give them some sort of edge in, in a in a in a losing battle, well then you know what is the point then? I mean, do do we want to watch just a hundred overs of, of of gun barrel straight balls getting whacked out of the grounds. I mean that that gets pretty old pretty quickly. But we are living in this in this new reality where people can't put spit on the ball for fear of, of sharing the virus. I mean I guess the one thing that we can say is that if if teams start to self isolate and just ex- exist in these little bubbles where where the outside world is 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 completely cut off and and only them inside are interacting with each other. Well, then I guess maybe then you can share saliva, but but that's so hard to police. And and are we going to tell, say for not even for an Ashes series that lasts for five matches, say even a two match Test series, are we saying that those players can't see anyone else that they that they are forced to essentially exist like prisoners for our amusements? I mean, I don't, I don't want as much as I want to see our athletes return to the field. I don't want them to live in a world where where they are asked to do things that, that ordinary citizens aren't asked to do, i.e. exist in this isolated bubble for, for an extended period of time. So I don't think that will happen. But then that brings us back to the original question, what to do about saliva. I see that the, that the ICC are trialing some sort of polish. Um, but, you know, cricket, cricket you know, the, the gears, the gears turn quite slowly in cricket and, and, uh, nothing has really come come of that as yet. I, I don't I don't know is, is is the answer. Smarter people who are dedicating the entire uh, resources and energy to figuring this conundrum out haven't come up with an answer yet. So my short answer is I don't know. But what I do know is that the sharing of saliva looks to be out for at least the time being. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure people, the decision making body, whoever is responsible, you know, to find an alternative. Uh, it's not an easy conversation like. You both have said saliva has been such a big part of the bowler's arsenal over the ages, and you're pretty mm. much taking away that uh, from the bowler. So let, let's see how this shapes up. So let's take mm. a quick note, and I know if, uh, football uh, is about to open in, in England and Europe uh, behind closed okay. doors, and uh, England have a home season that looks like it's going to happen with West Indies and the touring Pakistan coming in. And, and the conversation can go many ways. If it was the other way around, would England players be traveling to West Indies? Of course, there's no cricket in Pakistan. So how's the uh, how's the media covering uh, those uh, those events? I, I remember Mike Atherton saying, you know, you know, we should look at these two tours with gratitude and you know remember that uh, these countries are making this, and England should never forget. I mean, it's uh, mm. uh, it's a tough conversation. Uh, like I said, when we were prepping for the show, economies and you know businesses cannot stay closed forever, and something must go on. But uh, how do you see those boards uh, carrying out? Uh, the good faith. I'm sure there's money involved, but uh, West Indies, Pakistan are also honouring uh, the England uh, 
domestic, I mean, in- English cricket season. You know, that looks like it's going to be played out unless there's there isn't a surge or we take a few steps back. Well, what's interesting is you say the goodwill that I guess is being espoused from from the Pakistan and West Indies boards, and and I guess that speaks to an interesting part of of, of the way international cricket operates. That outside of of ICC events, it really is down to the relationship between two independent boards who, who decide how how many games they'll play, um, where the games will play, and it's interesting that Pakistan are obviously trying to get into. You know the good books of, of of one of the the three major money makers in the game, and 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 likewise with the West Indies. Maybe maybe those two boards will say to England, "Well, look, we we helped you out at a time when when no one else really was." I I, I don't know if that is the case. I don't, I don't know which other boards the ECB have contacted, but the fact is that West Indies and Pakistan look like they they'll be here for some cricket behind closed doors, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see. If if that is reciprocated down the line, I mean England are part of a big three with India and Australia, so it I, I don't hold my breath for the sudden wave of of uh, you, you know of, of goodwill from from a board that has shown themselves to be as as selfish as the next one. But yeah, good on the West Indies and Pakistan. How is it being reported here? Well, with as you would imagine, with with giddy anticipation, people are just. Jones in, you know, if I could, you know, almost like it's a drug to, for for live international crickets. Um, we with there's only so many highlights from the '90s that can satiate our uh, our desire. Um, precaution, obviously, it, 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 the, the the safety of the players and and, and the health of, of of all involved, coaches. Um, jur- do we allow journalists into the ground? Catering staff, groundsmen, etc. You know, that has to be the most important thing. I mean, as much as we love cricket, this is a game. And and, and no no epic hundred at Headingley or, or, or Fiverr at Lords is is worth one life. It it just isn't. So so that is obviously paramount. Um and, and it's interesting what I've what I found interesting is is how some journalists have sort of divvied up the sides and think, okay, well maybe there has to be a specialist test team and a specialist T20 team, and that might have a, a long-term impact on the game. Maybe we will see um, concurrent series where a, a test series takes place in Manchester, for example, and and a limited over series takes place down in the south, you know, in in London or Southampton, with with two different teams. Um, it's also been interesting to see that three different players from the West Indies have said that they are not willing to travel because of fears of the coronavirus. And that will be interesting to see how it plays out. We've seen in the Premier League, Troy Deeney, uh, captain of Watford, expressed his concerns about coming back. And now with these three big players for the West Indies saying that they are concerned and they don't want to travel, we might see players um, stand up and say, you know what, we, we are not obligated to to play for your amusement if our lives are at risk. And perhaps that might have a knock-on effect about, about player power and and... and how we view stakeholders and, and and where we prioritize our our values in the sport. So it's 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 just a, it's, I guess it's an unraveling narrative that um, we're kind of in the middle of and we don't quite know where it's going to go. But yeah, from a from the outside looking in, it's it has been fascinating. There's so many different threads to grasp onto. Exactly, and I, I, and I'm you know I'm I'm kind uh, uh, grateful that you covered you know a lot in this response and there's a lot to ponder with, especially you know the goodwill being. A one-way street is it? Let's see if England, you know, reciprocates or the big three reciprocate in the, in, in the future, and then mm. 
uh, having alter, you know like simultaneous parallel series, say Test match and ODI cricket or T20. That's that will also even open another Pandora's box. If a Test match and T20 is going at the same time, then the audience mm. and TV and TV has uh, pretty much killed Test cricket in many many people's eyes, and that'll that could that be the final nail in the coffin? I mean, we all love Test cricket, but the numbers. Uh, numbers are leaning otherwise, and you know it's a business, especially a business that's uh, that's facing you know such a natural calamity and you know a new way of doing things. So it's it's like you said, it's pretty. It's going to be pretty interesting. Follow what comes out of the of the cricket office and how you know the conversation shapes up for the future of the game. Mm, mm. So I, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I I I I, I do wonder. I mean, if. Say a test match was happening at Old Trafford and there was a, a, T, a T20 game happening in Southampton. I mean, England and Australia are probably the two countries where, where that test ground would still be filled. But, but perhaps the, the, the promise of, of live test cricket might actually entice people to come. I mean, it, it, although I guess the fear then is, is that the divide between the people who think that, that T20 cricket or even 50 other cricket is, is not quote-unquote real cricket – and that and that test cricket is only for the purists. I mean, there, there's obviously a lot of crossover. I love both. Um, I, I guess one of the the potential negative byproducts of that is that 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 division might become more entrenched. But you know, we're just playing with hypotheticals now. No, and, and exactly, the conversation has shifted even the last ten years uh, from nostalgia and purists to being you know what the future is, attention span, and and whatnot. Uh, and I would like to add just two cents of mine. If an Ashes Test is going on, and then you put Australia England playing in a limited over attraction at the same time, uh, I would love to know what the TV ratings are leaning towards. Is it a lot mm. of back and forth? Are a lot of people staying? You know, uh, on the test match because in, in other countries, uh, again, like you said, it, it, it wouldn't be a surprise if uh, the limited over the white ball got the precedence of uh, the ratings compared to the oh. test ball bat. But oh. yeah, it's, like you said, this is the whole uh, the hypothetical waters, and well, let's see where we land up, and then maybe we can do a conversation. Then right now is just about <laughs> guesswork. <laughs> mm. So I spoke with Firdos a couple months ago, and. Uh, I want to re-engage you on the same topic. What are the conversations like about the leading candidates uh, who will be or who will be the leading candidate captaining South Africa once the announcement is out? Sure. I mean, you might have to narrow it down to the players that haven't put their hand up and, and said that they want to captain this, the Test team. Um, so far, in the lockdown, we've heard Dean Algo wants wants the job. We've heard Aidan Markham wants the job. We've heard Keshav Maharaj wants the job. Um, some people have have suggested that maybe captaincy could be a good idea for Kahisa Rabada to Tony's tenth Madan. Uh, that I, I I couldn't disagree with that anymore. Uh, it it, it uh, must just bowl. Of course, Tim Vavuma is the is the is currently the Test vice captain. So there are a bunch. Um, interesting that they don't want Quinton de Kock to do it. I mean, interesting in the sense that they that they gave him the reins and then. And, and then took it away. I mean, he was never captain of the test side, but gave him the, the limited overs uh, captaincy, but then said, no, we don't want you to do it for the test team. I guess it's interesting in that, that they, they see a clear division of labor here. It's not that interesting in that it, it makes sense. You don't want your best batsman and keeper to also be burdened with captaincy over a, over a long five days. My pick personally is Dean Elgar. And for a number of reasons. I think Dean Olga, I, I think seniority does count for something. Yes, I know that South Africa's most successful captain, Graham Smith, was given the reins when he was, what, 22, 23. But 
you know, he's an aberration. Not everyone has the has the gravitas of of, of Graham Smith, and I don't think we should we should expect Aiden Markram, who, who many people was hoping would be something similar, to just do that because we want him to be that. Aiden is a very very different character. Also, why I'd give it to Dean Elke is that he's assured of his place in the side. Yes, didn't have the best year, but then who did really in white for South Africa? Um, and I think we make a mistake in cricket. And, and South Africa is not the only country that's guilty of this. But England's the same. Australia's the same. India's the same. Maybe Pakistan is is probably a country that isn't quite so guilty of Sri Lanka as well. Is that when a captain is selected, you're not just selecting your captain for the next year or the next two years even, like in rugby or, or football even. Cricket, there seems to be a, 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 a real strong desire to elect a dynasty. This is our captain now, and he's going to be our captain in 10 years' time. This is not just a captain who's going to steady the ship and get us through through these waters. He's going to bash through the rocks, and he's going to take us to a promised land of milk and honey and World T20 titles and test maces and, and 50-over competitions, etc. And I think South Africa has, has, has fallen in the trap there by looking away from Dean Elgar in that respect. Yes, Dean is probably not going to be around for another five years but but a good three years could could really get the best out of him and 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 really help in the transition he he, he stands in in at gully or, or, or third step or wherever he stands he'll be close to quinton he'll be close to dean i beg your pardon he'll be close to aiden markham who are probably the the, the two likely successes even tim of who stands at points if, if his form can improve my one concern with dean though is, is some of his recent comments um tough advice who I've already given a shout out to, uh, gave an excellent account in CrickBuzz. Dean Elgar used the term garden boy to refer to his gardener in lockdown. The question to him posed by, by the CSA media officer was, how have you done under lockdown? And he said, yeah, I've had to let my garden boy go and I've had to mow the lawn myself. And for anyone who, who understands, I mean, that is a derogatory term. I, I, I doubt very much that his gardener is a boy. His, garden, his gardener is, is, is likely a grown man. But this is a bit of a hangover from apartheid South Africa where you would call your, 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 your black gardener a garden boy because you, you, you take away his agency as, as a full-grown man. You dehumanize him in some way. And perhaps just a snip of the tongue, perhaps just um, – that's just maybe how Dean speaks. And obviously, he, 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 I'm not saying he's a racist. But when you are the captain of, of South Africa, it's not the same as other countries. You have to be so, so conscious of your, of your subject position. And if Dean Elgar is going to be elected the captain as a white man, he has to be conscious of that. That can't just be a slip. In the past, he, he once mocked a, a fellow protea of shopping, doing his grocery shopping at a at the equivalent of like an LD or, you know, like a, like a, a, a working class chain rather than like a, a high end chain, like Waitrose. And, and, and it just showed a, a real lack of understanding of class in the country. And as a white person, you know, as, as all things are in South Africa, class is wrapped up in race. And, and I just wonder, is he, is he socially and psychologically adept at, at, at being the guy to lead a country that is still so fraught with racial tensions? I don't know, but from a purely cricketing point of view, um, Dean Olga's my guy. Hmm. I mean, that's uh, quite the complex response. And uh, again, a wonderful response. And I'm not qualified to take a deeper dive, but I totally appreciate the current climate, even in the country I live in. You know, race is something that is way too complicated. And, you know, you can't hide behind, you know, some of the obvious choices people make. And you're right with uh, 
with this kind of power, this kind of uh, uh, attention that is the captaincy of South Africa comes responsibility. And uh, and I think you you nailed it down. Uh, it could be a slip of tongue, but you know, at this in this day and age, we all have to be very careful in what comes out uh, of our mouths. And you know, because uh, in, in that kind of a space, he's a role model, and he if he commands that job, that's that's you know that's one of the highest sporting. Position in South Africa, and uh, yeah, let's see how it plays out for him. But I'm sure not a beat gets missed. And uh, has he has he explained? Uh, has someone asked him, or that's just uh, uh, still out there for interpretation? Well, I mean, the, the, the thing that's happened recently is, under lockdown is that we have been unable to speak to the players. Um, the these sound bites that we've been getting have been. Re- uh, recorded interviews with with the cricket South Africa press officers, and no, I I, I don't think anyone has challenged him. Apart, I haven't seen it apart from the piece from Telf Advice, who's who's more astute than most on on these complex issues. I I like I say, I don't think I don't think it's an it, it points to an inherent racism of, of Dinelga. I don't think he's he's classist. I mean, he he he's quite working class in many ways. Um, I just think it's a, it's it's a slight blindside, you know, a blind spot. Last last year, Fafdi Plessy was asked a, a difficult question around Timba Bavuma's non-selection, and Fafdi Plessy said, "We don't see race, you know, we don't see colour in this team." And naturally, people got really upset by that because, as 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 we know now, with what's happening in the states and 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 in the UK. To say that you don't see color is basically to say that well I, I don't see a problem with the with the inequalities that exist along racial lines. You know, it's 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 almost like it's a privilege not to see race. I, I doubt any black person in the world right now doesn't see race, black or brown person for that matter. So, but people and people accused Fafdi Plessy of being racist, and I don't I, and I don't think that's what it is. I just think it's a it's a it's a slight ignorance, and it's an ignorance that a, a lot of privileged people. Are, you know, experience. It's 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 not conscious. It's just when you when you're not forced to see the world through a particular prism, you often don't. You know, I, I myself, I, I'm I like to think that that for a for a white person, I'm I'm relatively woke, as it were. But but I, I'm I, the fact remains, I'm a I'm a white man. I still I am still read at, at, like that in the world. I, I still have to navigate the. I'm, I'm blessed to navigate the world. Um, through that subject position and I have to kind of force myself almost like I'm, I'm wrestling with a bull to grab it by the horns and, and drag it down to earth and be like, okay, I, I have to challenge my, my worldviews. And I, and I wonder if, if Dean being what, what is he? 33, 34. I, I, I wonder if, if he has done that, maybe the way that, you know, Tembo Vuma would be conscious about race. Obviously I think Keshav Maharaj would obviously even Aiden Markram, who's a little younger um, would be more conscious of that. So I, I think it's just about education, and and I I, I hope that if Dean Elliott is made captain, and I'm, that is that is my hope that he is, that someone at cricket South Africa would kind of give him not not just a crash course, but a real intense course to to handle those questions and and to be conscious that you know as the leader of South Africa, he is more than just someone who is a, an astute leader on the field. No, no, I've obviously learned quite a lot. This is uh, this is shaped up better than. Again, you know, not by design, but I think your knowledge and uh, informing us of how this played out. So yeah, let's. Uh, I'll follow this now with more depth when you know uh, cricket resumes, and uh, hopefully this podcast will also inform some listeners 
uh, what's going on. So that was quite the response. So let's uh, make the segue into the main event, what you and I discussed, because there's no actual cricket going on. And you mentioned YouTube in your lead-up mm. response. That's what we all have been doing, watching the Laras or the Donalds or Bishops or Marshalls or Miyadads or Kapils. You know, everybody has their mm. own way of doing. And the two events that formed you uh, or, or influenced you as a young boy and now you work in cricket were the 99 World Cup and uh, the 2008 series uh, when in Australia led by Graham Smith and team. So mm. let's unpack the World Cup. Uh, why was it so special? Uh, of course, it was a good team, but was it a flawed team? I mean, you know, uh, if you look back and have you talked to some players in your journalistic career, what that World Cup meant to some of those guys? Yeah, um, I've spoken to many players um, from that era. I, I've, I've got a... I've got a scorecard in front of me. I've spoken to Kirsten, Gibbs, Cullis. Well, actually, actually, now that I look at it, I've spoken to everyone except for except for Hansi Krenia, um, who, who I never got the chance to speak to as, as a journalist. Um, why was this so important to me? But, well, I, I was I was old enough to remember '96, and I remember Brian Lara making that hundred in the, in the quarterfinal to knock South Africa out of the World Cup. But I, but it was just be, it was just a little beyond me. I. I I didn't watch the the final between Sri Lanka and Australia because I was I was more interested in playing cricket in the garden. Ninety nine was the first World Cup that I I sat down and I watched every ball that South Africa played, and I, I watched a lot of the other balls that were that, that South Africa weren't involved in. So it was it was really the first tournament that 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 captured my imagination. That that for, for those few weeks I, I was obsessed with. Um, I loved the kits. I, I the, all all those kits are absolutely classic. I, I, the South African one with the with the inverted Y is is in my is in my cupboard right now. Um, it's 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 just so iconic. And the way South Africa played, as you say, on paper, pretty good side, but just so flawed with the bat. They just could not string it together. Um, the top order failed and failed and failed. One Gibbs obviously in the in the Super Six against Australia played a, an impeccable innings and scored a hundred. Obviously, that game more remembered for his contribution in the field, where he dropped Steve Waugh and, and, and quote unquote dropped the World Cup. Um, but they never really got, put it together as a team. So watching South Africa bat throughout that tournament was a was a real lesson in, in in never giving up hope because there was always a guy in the shed who was wielding a tree trunk and could come out and 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 turn any game on its head. And his name was Lawrence Klusner. And I I don't think anyone in the history of, of, of Cricket World Cups has had a better, more impactful World Cup than Lance Clusen had in 1999. Yes, he, he, he didn't make the final, let alone win it. But perhaps Mitchell Stark, in, 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 when Australia won it on home turf, Ben Stokes, Joffrey Archer, you could argue, were, were super impressive. But man... Lance Klusner, it, it was it was his World Cup, and he was criminally batting far too low than he should have been. But what an absolute joy it was watching him just smoke everybody. He just walked out with a with a tree like with a there was a slip there. I didn't say it back the size of a tree, but it was a tree, and it was just phenomenal. And a, a great bowling side. Alan Donald uh, close to the peak of his powers. Sean Pollock, Miserly, Cullis was still bowling pretty rapid at that stage. Um, you had Stephen uh, Stephen Alworthy, Lance Cruz, obviously bold as well. Just just a really fun side, but like you say, very flawed. And and that ninety nine semi final, I, I don't think I've alluded to a, a moment 
in time, in my writing, in, in, in podcasts, in, on radio segments, more than that semi-final. Um, my, my first piece for, the, for uh, Cricket Monthly, ESPN's Cricket Monthly magazine, was on that final and, and, and how it was just, it was just so gut-wrenching. I, I'll never forget where I was. I was, I was watching the game at home and I, I, had a, I had an assignment due for school. Um, the next morning and I, obviously I, I wasn't doing it while the game was on because I, I kept getting distracted and it was getting late and late and late and it was like maybe close to I, I, I couldn't tell you what time but I'd, I'd given myself not I'd, I'd left no room to complete this assignment and my mom burst in the room once once Klusner was the game was ebbing and flowing and it was looking positive and she declared to my sister and I put down your pens put down your books you don't have to do your homework South Africa are going to the World Cup uh, World Cup final you don't have to go to school tomorrow so what I do, obviously, I close my book, I chuck my pens away. My mom's phoning uh, family, friends and neighbors and like bringing them around. My dad's pouring drinks. We're going to the World Cup final. And then Alan Donald drops his bat and the, the game is tied and it's despair. And I, and I, look, I look at my mom and she just hissed at, out of the corner of the, out of the mouth, finish your homework. And, and I, I remember thinking that, that nothing is ever done until it's done. No victory is ever complete and, and, and until until the umpires have flicked the bales off and, and declared a winner. Um, so that really shaped me as a as a fan. And and because that's you know, all journalists, all sports journalists start their their lives as fans and they become journalists. And some some unfortunately lose that their love of the game because they become so hard bitten. But I never have and that fan is still in me. Every yeah. piece I write, even if it's not about about sports, I I, I remain a, a a sort of wide-eyed fan, and 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 yeah, that that really shaped me. So it, it's it stays yeah. with me to this day. No, you make some interesting points, and I'll take a deeper dive. But yeah, I think I've heard uh, in the US, I've been staying for for more than half my life, and I've heard stories like when Red Sox lost a World Series, and some people were in denial. <laughs> they stopped talking about the games. They stopped watching the game. I guess it has different impact on different people. I mean, with all the heartbreaks, uh, I think I'm with you. You want to watch the game again so you can go, you know, your team can go or your player can go and fix that and you can be in that position. Such a drug that, it, you know, of course, heartbreaks are, you know, there are so many matches and games that, you know, the team or player I was rooting for, those still stay in, in your memory, but that still wants you more of it, not less of it, mm. I think. Mm. That's how... Mm. So the Donald uh, run out, I mean, have you ever spoken to him or do you recall any quotes from him? I'm sure he's been asked that a million times. Uh, has that stayed with him? Uh, yes, I, 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 have, I have spoken to him and I, I, I wrote a piece um, for the World Cup, actually. It was, it was part of the Match Day program where, where I spoke to, to Donald and Klusner about the, those last two overs. I mean, it's, it, you know, it, it's it, they understandably are gutted by it you know no no one no one feels the pain of that of that of that run out more than more than alan donald's and one thing that lance Klusen has always said is that you can blame anyone in the world for what happened but you cannot blame alan donald because he was a number 11 batsman asked to walk into the most pressurized situation he had done his job uh, um, he he had he had bowled superbly. Well. I, I forget did he get four wickets or five wickets in in Australia's innings? He either got a four a fiver or Pollock got the fiver, and the other one got a fourfer. Um, so he so he had done his job. Um, and now he now he walks out, and he's asked to win the game for his country because 
Gary Kirsten makes 18. Daryl Cullinan makes six. Hansi Crenier gets a duck. Shouldn't have got a duck. Um, it, he was caught off his boots off Shane Warne. But the fact is that he failed. Herschel Gibbs, when he was cruising, gets one of the balls of the century and, 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 is, bowled, and is bowled by, by Shane Warne for 30. So the fact that Lance Cruzen was in that position. But yeah, to getting to your, to your question, they're gutted. And you know, people, it's, it's one of the first things people want to ask them. But both of them have, have had glittering careers. And unfortunately, the thing that they'll probably best be remembered for is that one moment. And, and you know, that's just how sport goes, right? Isn't, isn't it, it can be so cruel sometimes. And unless they had redeemed themselves with a World Cup victory four years later, that, that would have been the case. And of course they didn't. So, yeah, that, that's what we know about them. Uh, did Klusner ever, uh, in an interview with you or others, ever recalled upon that World Cup and thought he was batting too low? That's how the composition was. And then uh, I have a follow-up question to this. There were not many quick scorers in that South African side. You know, strike rate mm. is always integral, you know, when you try to win these World Cups. So has that ever been showcased, even though a lot of people believe this is the best World Cup South, South Africa produced? Mm. Uh, on the second question, I... I... It's a good question, actually, and, and and if I have asked Lance that, I either well, I either haven't asked him that or I don't remember his answer. I mean, my personal opinion is yes, he, he did bat too low. He I he probably should in that game probably should have come in ahead of um, Sean Pollock, who who still batted well. I mean, Pollock made twenty or fourteen balls, so it's not like he it's not like he wasted time. But yeah, I think I think I think Lawrence probably did bat one position too low throughout the throughout the tournament. Um, on, on the strike rates, I mean, it's interesting. It would, you would have to compare it to other teams. I mean, were South Africa's top order slower compared to other teams? Were they slower just because they never got going? I mean, Herschel Gibbs could go at a rate of knots. Daryl Cullinan was, you know, was kind of like your classic stroke maker. Um, but if he scored, if he scored a hundred, he wouldn't have taken, you know, he wouldn't have scored it off 150 balls. I don't think, I think he would have, he would have gone a decent click. Hansi Crenier played spinners incredibly well. If he, if he faced a few overs of, of spin, he was, he was probably batting in the high eighties, maybe mid eighties. Um, Cullis, yeah. An anchor in the middle order, Gary Kirsten, anchor up top. John T. Rhodes, a sort of Michael Bevan sort of player, you know, a lot of singles sweeps well, cuts well, you know, you know, works the angles. And then Pollock and Kluzner, big hitters. So I don't think it's necessarily a, 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 they were a team comprised of, of slow batters. I just think they were a, a team comprised of batters who didn't hit their form, apart from Kluzner and, and the low order. I mean, Kallis got a 50 in, in that famous tie game, but you know he, he went at a striker at a 57. Maybe that cost them the game. We're not sure. If, if, he, if he probably went a little faster, maybe the game would have been won. Um, but I guess I guess to answer that question, you'd probably have to take a deeper dive and look at at, at all the other teams and, and say, well, was the South African team a lot slower than the rest? So the the short answer is I don't think so, but the longer answer is I'm not sure. No, I mean uh, this is a, this is up for discussion for sure because some of the names in that South African eleven are are legendary, but then uh, to label them as slow again uh, compared to some of the other outfits, you have to have a full. Uh, data uh, and you know what kind of uh, totals they were chasing and uh, the numbers uh, have to tell the story so you're right I mean this is not a full picture maybe you are part of the part of that era and that's how cricket was played because a lot of times uh, recency kicks in because as great as Viv Richards was and he's still considered by many the greatest batsman uh, ever 
his strike mm. rate is, you know, if you look at the strike strike rate table in ESPN Cricket Crick Info, he's at the bottom of the of the short list they provided. <laughs> right. <laughs> but again, right. that that doesn't paint the full picture. Yeah, so, I mean, would he would he be paddle sweeping today? I mean, most likely. Uh, that, that's the problem. That's the problem with errors. So uh, I'm just looking at this Australian this Australian lineup: Gilchrist, War, Ponting, Lehman, War, Bevan, Moody, and then the bowlers. Um, you know, Gilchrist, big hitter, Ponting, a, a, a dashing stroke maker. But you know, were the War brothers? Was Lehman? Was Bevan? Were, were, were these? You know, it's not exactly say where Jai, Surya, Chris Gayle, right? Ab de Villiers, Coley. You know the it was a different era. Batting was was different. So um, it's a it's a good question though, and, and one I haven't really considered. I, I, I'm sure I'll be diving back into the, into this World Cup at some point in the future for a piece. So sure. th- that'll certainly be an article um, worth worth revisiting. Yeah, and let us know when that comes out. So we'll definitely re-engage in that. So mm. let's wrap the discussion on the World Cup with one last question: Hansi Cronier, earphone gate, and whatnot. Um, mm. So two-tier question, what do you think of it and what has the media in South Africa recalled upon that event as? And secondly, would it be treated differently if Graham Smith had done it? Because, you know, of course, the known reason on Cronier's legacy uh, exists. So take it which way you want, but if you can cover both both responses in one. Well, I think it's interesting that you talk about Graham Smith because Graham Smith was never found guilty of... of of, of match fixing, Hansi Krenia was. So anything that he that he does, or, or rather that he did on the field, it is going to be viewed in that light. There's always going to be that caveat that no matter what he that, that no matter what he did, he was the guy who match fixed. So I don't think that is what happened. I think he Hansi Krenia was a, and Bob Wilmer at the time were probably the most dynamic, innovative captain um, coach duo. One could argue probably the most the most innovative and dynamic captain coach duo of all time. I mean that 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 would be up for debate. That that would be an interesting thing to look at. Um, so they saw they saw a, a, a loophole in the rules and they decided to exploit it. I mean it makes sense. You 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 would want your your coach from above to relay messages. Um, rugby rugby players uh, rather rugby teams and, and football teams are, are sort of able to do that not directly to the the players themselves but to the guy on the side of the field. Um, yeah, I, it's interesting to ask how it's seen in South Africa because it, it might shock some people to know that Hansi Krenia's legacy is is not so clear cut in South Africa. There are still many, many people, and, and it was actually the anniversary of his death, not, uh, either yesterday or the day before of, of recording this this interview. His legacy is still largely positive. I mean, he is still regarded as as, as the greatest captain. South Africa's ever seen and possibly that the sport has ever seen. So it, it's it's hard to really gauge how that particular incident was viewed or is viewed by South Africans. There, there, are, there are two camps. There are the pro-Hansi camps that no matter what he does or did, um, his his legacy is secure. And, and there, are the, there are the others who who feel really let down by him and, and, and will view the, the, um, the earpiece as just another example of, of, of how crooked he was. I'm not so sure where I stand on it. I, I, I think it's, I, I think this is perhaps points to a, to a man who, who is willing to exploit the rules to, to suit his advantage, you know, to suit himself. That, that, that is, that, that is willing to do whatever it takes to, to further his own cause. This, this cause happened to be in the best interest of his team. But as we know, later on, 
his best interest weren't allied with the best interest of his team. Um, it shows him to be a great innovator. It shows him to to be an outside of the box thinker, but it does also it, it, it doesn't look good when when you when you take his entire uh, resume in its entirety. So yeah, as with everything with Hansi Krinia, there is no real cut and dry answer. Yeah, I mean uh, it it always is. You know, the in, in any any player's case when there's uh, there's such a stigma, you know, it uh, it uh, the legacy tends to be skewed, but then they're all. all other people or the other camp, like you rightfully said, who always remember the good things because one bad thing cannot, you know, overshadow is is the view. So, so nicely put there. Uh, let's uh, close this podcast with the other uh, event that uh, transformed you as a young boy was uh, or a young man uh, when the visiting South Africans were victorious in Australia, led by Ricky Ponting in 2008, and then the Graham Smith broken arm in Sydney. So let's talk about that series. So as an Indian. Mm. I'm often reminded when uh, Saurav Ganguly led team, and I've reminded some other friends too, uh, when we drew that series, uh, we have to highlight the fact that Glenn McGrath and Shane Vaughan didn't play in that series. That's like someone beating in India today with Pujara and Kohli or someone not, you know, that, that's that's the argument you get. So when South Africa got the better of Australia, McGrath and Vaughan had retired. So mm. do you ever encounter that in a barstool argument of, yeah, that's a great series, but you guys, you know, took on a team that's bowling was in its transition. So it's, there's no asterisk on that, but it's still not like beating a full-fledged team. So what's your response and how you recall that series? Yeah, well, I mean, that's, uh, there's no arguments there. McGraw and Warren weren't playing in the series, and every time South Africa did play against the two of them, they, they completely... You know, McGraw was a sniper, and 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 Warren was a wizard, and there, and there was no they were they were almost unbeatable. I guess the the counter to that is that you never you very rarely get two teams that are stacked with their best eleven players. I mean, the the era that 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 South Africa, you know, that 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 dominant era of Australians could essentially be their best every eleven. You could take that team and play them anyway. But the team that beat South Africa, that beat Australia in Australia from South Africa, was filled with Graham Smith, Hashim Amla, Jacques Cullis, Avery de Villiers, Mark Boucher, Dale Stain, Mornay Morkel, supplemented with Ntini Harris, uh, Dumini, who, who who we'll get to in a second, and a really capable opening batsman Neil McKenzie, who reinvented himself at the top of the order in in this series. So. You could argue that, well, if, if Avery de Villiers, Hashim Amla, and Jacques Cullis were all playing together, who could all bat with each other against Warren and McGraw, well, maybe that, that would have been different. So I guess, I guess that, is the, that is the issue of comparing errors. Um, but yeah, there's no question that, that, this, that this bowling lineup was diminished. Brett Lee, um, was, if, he, if, he, if he wasn't past his peak, he, he, was, he was certainly at the end of his peak. Um, Mitchell Johnson wasn't wasn't you know he wasn't the bowler that that, that decimated um, England in the Ashes, but he was obviously terrifying. Um, and and Peter Siddle was was handy but unspectacular, you could argue. So yeah, not not the greatest um, Australian team, but their batting was still pretty strong. They still had Hayden, Ponting was captain, Mike Hussey, Clark, uh, Haddon was pretty good. Simons was Katic was, was Katic, exactly. Um, so it was a good side. But yeah, there, there's there, there's no argument that without without Warner, I mean any any team would be better with Warner McGraw. All right, so we started on the wrong note, but let's talk about the memories of the series. What what were the some of the key uh, key elements? I, I remember De Villiers was man of the match. There was a huge chase at Perth. I think they chased four hundred odd, 
And that has mm. to be one of the best chases, you know, because you don't chase at Perth. And some might say Perth is not the same, but, you know, there's always a naysayer in the crowd. But still, you know, you don't chase 400 in the fourth inning. That's just not normal. <laughs> and, and to get it so comfortably, I mean, there were 414 for four. Smith got 100. De Villiers got 100 not out. JP Jimmy on debut got a 50. There were 50s from Amla and Cullis. Just to do it so easily, I, I think I think that's really what stood out. When, when you were watching it, there was, you know, being a South African watching a Test series in Australia, we, we've seen this we've seen the script too many times. There was there was a collapse coming. We just you, you, we should have been anticipating the collapse. We should have been thinking, all right, well, Bradley's going to come and he's going to sweep it, everyone off the board, and, and, and South Africa is is going to fall down valiantly but still lose by fifty runs. But the funny thing is, is that. You never thought that. You 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 watch this and you're like, they're gonna even when they were like 250 runs out. You just thought, or well, I did at least, they're gonna do this, man. This, they they just look like they're gonna do this. Even when Neil McKenzie went out pretty early, you just thought, chilled. I I I completely backed them to get it, and it was just such a great time for me. I was I was in university. Um, we we were on holiday with with a group of mates in Cape Town. I'm I'm from Johannesburg, and, and like a lot of Joe Burgers, uh, in, in in the December holidays, we go down to Cape Town, rent a flat, and just you know heady days on the beach. And you 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 get back after being after getting too much sun, uh, you turn the TV on, you just watch cricket all night, and you you sleep until lunch. It it was it was just an epic three weeks, and and watching JP Dumini come of age. I mean. I still maintain that I, that the the innings that 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 has brought me most joy as a as a Proteus fan was the 160 odd he scored in the second test um, where he where he put on that mammoth total with a mammoth partnership with Dale Stain when they when they rescued a completely hopeless cause and 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 dragged their side to to a, a you know a, a substantial tar, a substantial lead that then they could uh, go on and win the game. Watching JP Dumini unfurl cover drives and and cut late and and flick through mid wickets, you just thought, man, this 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 is it. This is our guy. This is this is the person that's going to be like the Sachin Tendulkar or the Brian Lara or the Abi de Villiers if if, if we can t- talk about South Africans. You know, we there was just such high hopes for him. Unfortunately, his career never quite got there. But you know, we'll we'll always have that that. Epic, and 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 I and I know that word is thrown around a bit too easily, but it was just an epic, epic innings, and and to win in Australia, to win a Test series in Australia, something they'd never done before. For for a fan who who was so conditioned by the heartache of the '99 semi final, who who as you say grew up watching Warren and McGrath just decimate, um, just decimate them. Who remember watching um, Adam Gilchrist. Hit hit our our bowlers for fun at all parts of the Wanderers where he he scored that fastest double ton at the time. Just watching them get that monkey off their back was just so. We felt it. All Proteus fans felt it, and, and it was just incredible. Dude, I'm sure it's Test match, so it rated obviously higher than the than the chase they had against Australia uh, in in the fifth one day. Right, that's uh, not too long ago. To I think 2006. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, that, that, you know, that was, that was, that was obviously an ethic in itself, you know, no doubt. I mean, apart up until, up until this time last year, it was considered the, 
the greatest one day of all time. You know, the final last year is surpassing that, obviously. Um, I, I, I guess it depends what your persuasion is. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a, a test nerd, so, so that is always going to win for me. Uh, they, I guess they're in the same bracket, but yeah, for me that winning in Australia um, the, with with JP Germany leading from the front, the way he did it, yeah, that's 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 my number one. No, I'm with you, and uh, I'm, I'm myself a purist. Grew, grew up you know, on the red ball cricket, following the Indian mm. team in the 80s, so I, I can totally relate. Um, mm. So let's wrap this up with the Graham Smith's broken arm. I mean that. Uh, Hmm. That gets talked about so many lengths, and that's the character of the man, and you know, like uh, that's a chapter in his greatness. Uh, enough accolades can't be thrown. Uh, what is your recollection of that event as a fan, and uh, how you process that as a journalist when you write about cricket? Does that kind of a thing stand out on its own? Oh, uh, I mean, he he's just a, he's a Viking. I mean, he he is just just an immense an immense human being. I mean. He, he's not everyone's cup of tea. He can be a bit abrasive. He can be he can be short with the press. He, he he's mellowed out now since he's become director of cricket. But he that, that you know he, his nickname is Biff, and he and he earns that. He 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 bats he bats like a Biff. He's got a big square jaw like a Biff. He, his his forearms are are, are are as meaty as most people's calves. Um, just just big in everything he does. Big presence, deep voice. And, and to go out and face Mitchell Johnson on, on a cracking pitch with one hand after he's already broken your hand, you know, what more can I say? The the, the metaphor writes itself. It, 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 as I say, immense is the word that comes to mind. And, you know, the series was already won. There was no need for him to do that. He, he could have said, you know what, okay. I mean, they end up losing anyway. But he could have said, you know, what, we, we, we came here to win a series. I, I'm not going to go out there. You know, what, what would be the point of this? You know, well played, guys. You knocked me out of the game. And, and that he refused to go out there and, and, and let his team lose while he sort of still, you know, drew breath. You know, if we can if we can get so dramatic, I think does speak to 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 the power of him and his ability to lead. He was always one of those captains that would never ask his players to do something that he himself couldn't do. Um, he 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 made a lot of cricketing enemies. Maybe enemies is a bit strong, but you know, a lot of a lot of players. Had their careers cut short. Lance Kruzner is, is possibly one of them because of of Graham's captaincy. But he had a vision, and 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 that vision was 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 fueled by the term Protea Fire, which he helped coin and 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 espouse. It's it's now used as a marketing tool today. But but Protea Fire back then, under Graham Smith's leadership, really meant something. It it it, it really did fuel a, a passion and and brought disparate people of different races and cultures and religions together, fighting for one team and. Yeah, that that is that probably best encapsulates him as as a man and and, and him as a leader. Yeah, on that note, I think uh, we are uh, almost at the time that we had allotted for this podcast. It's quite the response, and uh, maybe I can have you in a panel discussion when we talked about some of the greatest captains, and you can you can make a case for Smith because this conversation looks like it has a lot of room to explore. So, on that mm. note, Dan, thanks for coming on the show. Stay safe. It was a pleasure as always. Your work is. Uh, getting better by by the article every time I read what you have uh, written about. So, yeah, once again, it was a pleasure talking to you, and thanks for coming on our show. Oh, my friend, thank you very much, and uh, really enjoying the pod, and I hope you're staying safe, and, and hope all your listeners are staying safe too. We'll, we'll get through this, and, and soon we won't have to watch YouTube, but, but the live thing, and uh, look forward to that day.